1: Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I'm your host, Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting, and I'm happy to welcome my guest today, Faith Borges, Legislative Advocate, Don McFarland, Vice President, Legislation, and Sue Wakamoto-Lee, President of the California Agents and Health Insurance Professionals Association, or KHIP. Welcome, ladies, and thank you for being here today. It's great to be here. Thank you, Faith.
2: Thanks for the invite, Dorothy, it's great to be here.
3: It's great to have you on, Sue, thank you. Dorothy, thank you. I want to thank you for being such a great communicator for us and getting the important information out. Thank you, Don. I appreciate that. Well, we've got a lot of really interesting things to talk about
1: today related to California legislative updates in our state. So let's get right into it. Before we begin, Sue, you're a little more than halfway through your year as president of KHIP. How has that been and are you getting any sleep? I asked that because as a past president myself, and I know you and I have talked about this from time to time, it's very time consuming for a volunteer position. So thank you very much for stepping up and how's it been going so far?
2: Hey, so how honest do you want me to be? <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, You know what? It's been an exciting year. It's been actually a great year. I am enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would, to be honest with you. But I'm not going to lie. It has been a little stressful. Uh, I think I joked with you, Dorothy, that I'm pretty sure I have more gray hair and more wrinkles than when I started my term. Um, but you know what? It's it's a, a it is a big responsibility, but I'm I'm more than welcome to take this on this year. And, you know, it's it's an interesting time in our association because I think just like the regular working population out there, we have a lot of folks that have been in our industry a long time that are kind of aging out, I guess, you know, they're retiring. And so we're in a time now where we have young people that we are trying to get into the association to understand that what we do in this industry is really something to be proud of. You know, we advocate for the consumer, whether we're working with small employers, large employers, individuals, uh, individual agents or Medicare agents, we ultimately serve the consumer. And this is an amazing industry to be in. The reason we have so many people that are retiring is because they've been in this industry their whole lives. And I think that says something for what we do. It
1: really does. And
2: so, um, I, I'm very proud of our association in our industry and so six more months to go and I think I'll survive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well you know the gray hair thing I think we can all relate to that but that's okay because you always change your hair color from green to purple to blue anyway so <laughs> you just come you just learn to cover up the gray with the green the purple and the blue and you'll just be even more attractive that way right.
2: Oh <laughs> thank you Dorothy. It, it speaks speak. well
1: <laughs> it speaks well I mean you can always find Sue in a crowd I love it <laughs> you're so you're so you're so <laughs> colorful I mean, mean your personality as well but (laughs) Uh, you gotta do
2: something when you're short (laughs) yeah
1: i I get it i i'm we're in the same club there i get it just so that same height yes exactly i was just gonna say just so everyone knows sue and i are close friends and uh we are very close friends and and we're also in that five-foot club so uh, yeah yep. Yep. <laughs> well we've got a lot of stuff going on right now um, so let's start with a brief overview of where we are in California's legislative issues right now in our houses um, faith can you give us a quick overview of the challenges and the opportunities that we're facing now both in California and in Washington
4: sure I think it's helpful for your listeners to first know a little bit about where we are in terms of timing So, the legislators that were just elected this past November have taken office and they really are starting work beginning in January. And they have until about the middle of February or so to get their bills introduced. So, we're just starting to see legislation for this new session trickling in. So, fresh off of elections, um, the things that are going to be a big factor in terms of both challenges and opportunities here in California, in stark contrast to what we've seen play out at the federal level. Um, the Democratic Party has a supermajority in both houses of the legislature. So we don't have that divided Congress that you hear about at a national level. Over two-thirds of members in the Senate and the Assembly are controlled by Democratic members, and every statewide office is held by Democrats. So California, in terms of its leadership, is pretty unified, and that Unification of interest to our members uh, does include statements within the Democratic Party platform about supporting single payer legislation. So it continues to be a conversation um, that comes up. It's kind of central to conversations that are happening within the party because California is so blue, you're seeing a differential between moderate Democrats and more progressive Democrats. A good example is if you think of kind of the Bernie Sanders crowd versus your more centrist, more traditional, um, let's say, President Biden crowd. So that is a dynamic working out even within the party affiliation. But then also um, the issues of taxes are going to be a big deal this year. This past year in 2022, California had a $100 billion budget surplus now in the first week of January we just got a fiscal outlook from the governor from his proposed budget. And now we're looking at about an eighteen to twenty two, depending on your source, billion dollar deficit. So things are gonna get a little tighter in a state that's had a lot to do with um some some pretty optimistic spending opportunities that lens is gonna be shifting.
1: Yeah, and that's a huge difference between the surplus to the deficit in such a short amount of time. That's unreal. Mm-hmm. So they've got to be paying close attention to that, of course. Well, let's talk about the November elections here in California. Obviously, those elections had an impact on the types of bills that are introduced and um, either whether they're pursued or whether they're heard in Sacramento. Can you update us on some of the most important issues?
4: Sure. So in an election year, and California has an election every two years, and that's in large part because uh, congressional representatives need to run every two years and so do our state assembly members and our state senators alternate every four years so half of them will run um and in an election year you can guess what's not very popular with voters and that's taxes so you don't typically see um taxes in those election years or if you do it comes come forward by somebody who it fits their political narrative and it fits what they would like their constituents to see, you know, maybe an increased tax on the rich plays really well in the Bay Area. Um, and that's what we saw when it came to health care. The last time with AB 1400, though that bill didn't contain uh, a funding mechanism, it did have a companion piece of legislation. And that was Assembly Constitutional Amendment 11, that would have um, imposed a myriad of different taxes increases from individuals being taxed to employers being taxed to a gross receipts tax, which is similar um, to a sales tax, but a little bit different in its mechanics. Um, That bill was not popular and did not advance after AB 1400 was held. So we haven't seen a lot of tax increases, but we do expect that it may come up, especially in the week of that budget deficit that I just mentioned. It's not popular for elected officials to cut programs. And frankly, this class of legislators hasn't had to cut programs, so they may be looking for new revenue streams. The governor has shared that he um, wouldn't like to tap into the state's rainy day reserves because the state does have a sizable portion of money put aside, which they've been building since the last recession in just such a a circumstance as this, that they would have money on hand. But he is asking the legislature to practice some fiscal prudence and to look at Making cuts or seeing what spending can be delayed in the future before needing to um, increase taxes on folks which are not popular, whether it's election year or not, um, it would be a heavy lift.
1: Do you think that people really truly understand what you know, what an impact something like single payer or Medicare for all uh, would have here in California? I, I mean, it seems to me that some people just don't understand why it could not be a positive thing. A lot of people think, hey, it's free healthcare.
4: Sure. Well, I think some of that's in some of the branding. When you hear something like Medicare for all, you think that you're just expanding a program that's really universally liked. It's efficient. It works well. Um, it's something that people pay into over the course of their lifetime and rely on. But that's really not what we've seen here in California. We're talking about a true single payer system, which means all existing forms of health care, including Medicare, would disappear there would be no more um, differentials between covered California, employer sponsored coverage, or Medicare or VA benefits, all of those would be eliminated and the state would become the sole provider of healthcare. That's its true single payer system. And as soon as people start to understand that they're not extending healthcare to people who don't have it, which who wants more than an agent, right? When they understand that they're going to be losing their own health care or that their family members on Medicare are going to be losing that coverage, it's far less popular. And even some of the proponents of the bill do acknowledge the heavy lift that would need to be undertaken to provide the state's portion of resources that the system would rely on in addition to the federal government needing to provide waivers for that Medicare funding, for the medi funding. The state, according to the bill's sponsors, would need to raise at least $162 billion Per year and that would be done through taxes when you're talking about a publicly funded system they do kind of counter saying well this will offset some of the ways that healthcare is funding now which frankly is complex but um, going to a tax-based system is incredibly complex and very difficult and very
1: expensive too I don't think people realize how much it would be out of their paychecks and out of their individual taxes um, I don't think people understand that at all
4: Right, especially folks who um, maybe aren't paying for a significant portion of their health care if they've got employer-sponsored coverage or because of the subsidies that have been available through Covered California, our exchange here in the state, or receiving other state-sponsored coverage. So when you start having to pay an increase in your payroll taxes, both on the employer and the employee side, when you start to see the the cost of goods go up because of the gross receipts tax, that's really politically sensitive, especially now when we've seen um, the cost of inflation on many goods go up across the country. So adding additional costs on top of that, even for something as essential as healthcare, is is going to be very challenging.
1: And KHIP actually created some uh, educational pieces on this in the past, correct?
4: Absolutely. You played a big part in that. I would love it if you would make that available to your listeners. I think they can see um, what that would look like, and this is according to the bill sponsors, this isn't even what a lot of other stakeholders think um, it would cost to fund this, well in excess of that $168 billion, excuse me, $162 billion. Um, but even looking at what the proponents are putting forward as a way to pay for it, um, it's pretty shocking.
1: Yeah, it really is. And I'll be happy to make those available uh, so you can check the show notes. Uh, they'll be posted. And if you want to take a look at those, you can. There's a, a nice graphic there as well as a, more of an educational written piece uh, that you can take a look at. I think it'll be very helpful. Uh, so let's talk about leadership in Sacramento. Who are the important players that we all need to know? You know and what are they responsible
4: for? That's a good question. Um, in Sacramento, because there's two houses within the legislature, the Senate leader we refer to as the pro tem, it's Tony Atkins from the San Diego area. And she's been really consistent leadership for the Democratic Party on the Senate side. The Republicans um, did change their leader because they did lose another seat in this last election. And it's if a party is losing seats to make a change in their leadership, so they have a new leader, Senator Brian Jones. And they're both from the San Diego area. So leadership on the Senate side is pretty concentrated in Southern California. Looking over to the Assembly side, the has also had very consistent leadership in Speaker Rendon from the LA area. Though, interestingly enough, um, the caucus, the Democratic caucus, did say that they would like the Speaker only to be Speaker through June, which is essentially another budget season here in California. And then there's now a Speaker of in-waiting Assemblymember Rebus. He's a bit more moderate than the self-proclaimed progressive stance that Speaker Rendon is, um, though not a lot of other differences between their background or voting records, so to speak. The Republicans on the Assembly side are led by Assemblymember Gallagher from the great state of Jefferson, as I like to joke, from a really northern part of California. So who those leaders are um, makes a big difference in the way that policy plays out in California because the speaker and the pro tem get to determine who sits on what committee, who's chair of what committee. And in California, the chairs really have a lot of jurisdiction over their policy issue area. So for purposes of our listeners today, that's going to be the health committee. So Assemblymember Wood has been leading the health committee in the assembly for a long time. He's a provider from, um, again, another part of Northern California. And on the Senate side, since Dr. Pan turned out, we have a new um, leader in the health committee, Senator Telemontes Eggman, who comes from a mental health background. So I think that's the direction we're going to be seeing as a continued focus within California. As homelessness continues to be such a problem here, the state addressing the mental health piece is going to be a big priority. So those um, individuals who oversee that health committee on in both houses will have a lot of uh, influence in terms of whether or not single-payer legislation is set for a hearing, which would allow it to move forward, and whether or not there are any amendments taken to the legislation. It's a very common practice in Sacramento. For committee staff to make recommendations and really give a strong nod that this is the criteria for your bill to move out of the committee to be assessed. So what single-payer or any other significant health care reform looks like Depends a lot upon those leadership roles. Well, thank you, Faith. I know we kind of already talked about this a
1: little bit, but what are the important committees that we should be aware of related to the healthcare industry?
4: Well, I think in addition to those two healthcare committees that I mentioned in each house, um, the insurance committee is certainly important for your listening audience, just in terms of um, licensure issues, in terms of continuing education, and there were some developments in that that your members are going to need to be aware of that either just were enacted into law or are coming up in the next few weeks. But another big area, and not to get too wonky, and pardon me, I just love civics in this process. In California, everything that has a cost to the state, which, hello, those numbers that we just talked about with ACA 11 and single-payer, would need to go through the appropriations committees. And the appropriations committee determines um, whether or not the state has enough money to meet its obligations. And so even though bills are being heard in February, in March, in April, as the state receives taxes in April and May, then the legislature takes a look at all of the bills that they've collected so far to see what tax revenue actually came in and what's available to spend. Because a point of interest is California, unlike the federal government, which is very close to hitting its debt limit, um, California can't deficit spend. So what money is there? They can reallocate in terms of, you know, maybe taking a loan from a local government or deferring some payments, but they can't spend in deficit. So dollars that are available for health care are competing with dollars that are available for education and infrastructure, things like that, that California desperately needs, especially following record flooding and wildfires and drought. So those are going to be very competitive dollars. Well,
1: I don't think that was wonky at all. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was very informative. Thank you. So what are the main legislative issues for 2022-2023? I would guess that single-payer universal health care is always going to be one of them, as you mentioned before, but there are others like, of course, the economy, the recession, inflation, and so forth. What has been introduced and what do you expect to happen between now and mid-February when all those bills need to be introduced by?
4: Well, certainly healthcare as a topic is always an interest uh, to the legislature. California really feels that it's kind of won healthcare. So starting with the implementation of the Affordable Care Act and the Medical expansion here, California has reduced its uninsured numbers to record lows. And the remaining percentage of those who are uninsured were substantially undocumented residents. And California has expanded. Access into the Medi-Cal system if someone is otherwise income eligible, uh, regardless of their immigration status, for those up to age 26 and those over age 50. And there's a look ahead, that remaining gap of 27 to 49, is supposed to be addressed by January 1st of 2024. And the state already allocated money for that in past budgets. And the governor has said in this budget, even though the state is looking at a bit of a deficit that maintaining that expansion to what we can frankly call universal healthcare access because there are options available to everyone now, Um, it sucks a lot of the oxygen out of the cries for a single payer system that really hugs at people's heartstrings wanting everyone to have coverage and wanting it to be affordable with federal actions like ARPA and expanded subsidies and the state making those declarations for Medi-Cal expansion healthcare hasn't been this affordable for a lot of folks. Is there work to be done? Absolutely. And this association is gonna be deep in the trenches of continuing to improve quality and access and affordability, because we don't like the trends we're seeing. But, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater is not something that a lot of folks are looking to do. Yeah,
1: I, I can appreciate your comments there. Let me just ask you one question just for the listeners that may not be as familiar with the terms. Can you tell us very, uh, very simply the difference between single payer and universal health care?
4: Oh, absolutely. Great question. So universal health care is everybody having health care. Um, our current system does that through ways that, you know, seniors have access to Medicare A lot of folks have access to employer-sponsored coverage. It continues to be the number one source of coverage here in California. Um, Those who are in financial need have access to our Medicaid program, Medi-Cal, here. It's really making sure that everyone has some coverage that suits their needs. and their age and stage of life, single-payer is eliminating the distinctions between all of those programs. And, you know, kind of creating them in one government program. So if you think of the DMV as an example, we all drive different cars, but everybody gets one option in terms of whether or not you're able to drive, you're permitted to do so, you need to go through the DMV and there's no other options. That's what a true single payer envisions, that there is no more laser, no more blue shield, no more um, fragmented system would be their terminology, that there's just a state program. You get your money from the state by paying taxes to the state. You have a state card, you have state employees, um, which is very different than universal coverage. So to answer your initial question, in addition to healthcare and maybe even superseding it, is the need for infrastructure um, spending, the need to address you know, imminent um, wildfire threats and flooding hazards. Because um, it doesn't look like the crazy weather in California is going to stop anytime soon, right? The ebbs and flows are getting pretty steep and deep. So the legislature going to be needing to address that. And then as we discussed a little bit earlier, um, affordability is a big problem when you're looking at a recession and inflation. I mean, have you seen the cost of eggs? Um, the yeah. legislature is going to need to do something to get their arms around Quite frankly, the bread and butter, you know, of people's family tables um, to improve educational needs that have really been exacerbated by the pandemic, to improve the homelessness issue that has become so prevalent and at the forefront of everything that happens here in California. So there's going to be a lot of other big topics to, to look at.
1: Okay, thank you. Well, let's talk about some of the priority bills as we know of now, because of course that's going to change potentially between now and mid February. Uh, can you fill us in on some of the most important ones, like, for example, AB 4, SB 56, AB 1130, AB 1400, which you mentioned earlier? Can you just give us an update?
4: Sure. So, those were bills from last session, um, the last class of elected officials. AB 4 and SB 56 make a reference to the Medi Cal expansion that we talked about earlier. And though those two bills died as policy bills, the subject matter of these bills was inserted into the state budget that was enacted. And typically, budget bills become law upon the governor's signature unless otherwise stated that there is a delayed implementation, such as that Medi-Cal expansion for those who are age 27 to 49 that we talked about. Um, maybe 1130 is another Another version of that um, policy bill dying, but the subject matter being inserted into the state budget. And this is a huge one um, that I'm surprised so many folks have not heard about. In an effort for California legislators and, and the government to get their arms around healthcare spending, they're creating a new um, board that would be responsible for collecting um, data and information from health plans, from hospitals, from providers. And they do have quasi-rate-setting ability with the authority to impose fines or fees if their stated um, metrics for affordability and equity and things of that nature are not met. We don't know yet who the members of this board would be, but the creation of the board and kind of staffing of this new um, state program has been implemented through last year's budget. So, who these individuals are and what path they choose to pursue in terms of the ability to choose to impose fines and things of that nature will have a huge impact on potentially the cost of health care in california which we often tell people that health insurance is expensive because health care is expensive insurers don't have control over what provider groups are choosing you know to be paid or hospital fees One point that's interesting about this new um, this new board is that they're not going to have authority over pharmaceutical companies or their
0: profits,
4: Uh, both at the state level and the federal level in terms of their role in cost drivers to the healthcare system. So it's not perfect, um, but it does possess the potential to um, understand a little bit more about where costs come from and potentially to do something about it. Just who's making those calls is going to need to be the right, the right group of folks.
1: Thank you. Uh, KHIP supported a couple of bills, AB 1878 and SB 944, which require Cover California to implement options developed with stakeholders uh, to provide cost sharing reduction subsidies uh, to reduce cost sharing, including co-pays, co-insurance, out-of-pocket maximums for low and middle income Californias. Can you tell us about that?
4: Sure. And then I promise I'll stop talking. <laughs> it's all right. You can talk
1: You can talk as much as you want. We like, we like hearing what you have to say.
4: So because there's two houses of the legislature, it's not uncommon for bills that are virtually identical to be introduced in both houses. You'll have an assembly version and a Senate version. That allows both committees and both groups of legislators to hear and to discuss and debate ideas. And so one of those bills did ultimately advance to the governor's office, Senate Bill 944. And the bill was looking at, California had set aside money um, for Covered California, and once the American Rescue Plan was passed and the feds were going to be sending so much money to California, it was a conversation about what do we do with the previously allocated California funds, and is there an opportunity to not just reduce the cost of premiums, but to also reduce other forms of access, so things like doctor's visits and co-pays and deductibles, things of that nature. So there was a working group that we were a part of, and I'm sure Don would be happy to speak more to that if you um, have additional questions, but looking at additional ways to make healthcare affordable. And something that happened in a year where the budget process was such that the bill was ultimately vetoed by the governor's office. which was kind of surprising because there was a relative kumbaya around um, this idea of this you know, additional financial assistance to folks. And the governor um, cited the in his veto message that there were concerns about funding. And so this was at the end of the year when we didn't really know what was coming yet. The governor stated that while he thought the goal of the bill to establish um, additional resources was really um, laudable, he had concern about a downturn in revenues that may make such new programs unsustainable. Especially in light of you know the important
3: commitments beyond medical.
1: Well, thank you, Don. Um, I have a feeling you have some comments you'd like to share on this on this topic.
3: Just to reinforce what Faith said, thank you, Dorothy, um, and maybe to give Faith a minute to rest, <laughs> as she's covered a lot. We worked really hard to make sure that all parties know that we want to engage. We want to be a part of the voice that makes a difference and makes the improvements that are still needed while we've made a a huge progress. So I just think it's important that our members and future members understand the value of what we do and why they should be a part, whether they have the time to serve or just have the time to contribute as a member. Um, We really need their membership for that. Oh thank you. Well, let's talk
1: about SB 1241 which was signed into law related to insurance license numbers on emails. Can you fill us in on that?
3: Yeah, it actually it was another partnership that um KHIP participated in with our with coalition partners as well as conversations with the Department of Insurance to ensure there was a, as little pain as possible while accomplishing the goal. And the key takeaway I would say is just for agents to know that all emails need to have your license number in the signature line. So check that your mobile device that has the responder, wherever you're responding from, or if you have emails that go automatically out of your CRM systems, just make sure that your license number is included in the signature line. Um, you can find the required font type in the Department of Insurance notice that all licensed agents received. Thank you. We'll do that. And again, if you guys want
1: uh, me to post that notice with the show notes, I can do that as well. Uh, awesome. Yeah, we can do that. So there's also a requirement for a new required class on the study of insurance fraud. Can you explain that to our listeners? And I just read more about that the other day and I had to kind of shake my head on it. But uh, uh, can
3: you explain that to the uh, to the listeners for us? Sure. Uh, currently, uh, all licensed health insurance, health and life insurance agents have to take 12 hours of ethics to get their license, and then a continuing education every two years of three hours of ethics. This new requirement requires one of the hours of both the 12 newly licensed and the three continuing education CEs to be on fraud, waste, and abuse. we had been waiting for some time for the rubric to um, be able to participate in that, and we learned just recently that the Department of Insurance is requiring that their version of that hour training is what is given at this time.
1: Yeah, that's what kind of surprised me a little bit. Uh, There's only one, you have to watch a video, correct? And yes. so our esteemed insurance commissioner, of course, has his photo and his voice on at the beginning of that uh, training, um, which could be politically motivated, but I won't uh, ask you guys to comment on that. Um, So I just thought that was kind of interesting that even though you can get other speakers and other really well-informed instructors to do other classes on ethics. This one has to come from a video produced by the Department of Insurance and uh, I just think that's interesting because letting you know all the agents know that you have to log on to their website to get that particular class uh, I think that's going to be a little bit challenging to educate people on across the public, because not everybody's not everybody's a member of KHIP. Not everyone right. is is reading what they should be reading, and it comes on their emails or whatever. Um, it's I think it's going to be a challenge getting people to understand that they need to do that for their licensing. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So, Sue, as a follow-up to all this, how have KHIP members responded to these requirements? Are there any concerns besides what we've already talked about?
2: Well, just as you've illustrated, it seems to continue to be a moving target as far as how these, some of these requirements are to be met. I mean, what sounded like something simple, for example, the emails, including insurance license numbers, can get complicated uh, once you've got a broker or an agent and a general agent and an individual at an agency. So, um, we have been working with other entities as well as internally to make sure that we get that information out to our members, um, you know, constantly updating. Uh, every month we do have an e-newsletter that goes out. So we do hit all these topics and um, we even do special alerts that go out to our members to make them aware of a new requirement. Or if there's been comments made on a regulation that changes what we knew before, we try and get that information out to our members
1: which is another reason that everybody that's an agent should be a member, right?
2: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what about SB 1473, which would require health plans and insurers to continue to cover the cost sharing uh, for COVID-19 testing and immunizations delivered by uh, out-of-network providers for up to six months after the public health emergency ends? Can you update us on this?
3: So um, it's exactly as you said. The, California created a law that passed that is extending coverage for COVID testing, it's going to take some time for the public to become out of practice. Cause right now when you go get, you can go to get tested anywhere and you're covered. There's no um, there's no guideline. It's just everyone, everyone gets covered cause they were trying to get everyone to be tested and, and, and keep everybody healthy. Um, and now that, when the public health emergency ends, which still is kind of a moving target. uh, (laughs) They've extended it, I don't know how many times, at least twice so far. So once that does end, California is requiring carriers to cover six months of COVID testing and immunization for um, anybody on their plans. Yeah. So once it
1: ends, then the six month clock starts then. So they have an additional six months that they have to cover uh, without the cost sharing. So just make sure that you're aware of that, and and I think what's going to be interesting on this is that people have gotten so used to having all this stuff covered uh, that they're yep. going to ex- they're going to be kind of surprised and shocked when they get a bill or asked to be you know pay a copay when all this ends. What are you talking about? For the last three years, it's been covered with no cost to me. So I think that's going to be a little bit of an education for for consumers as well.
3: And just, yeah,
4: just like of clarification too. Um, it was health plans being required to cover six month, an additional six months after the federal health emergency of both in-network and out-of-network services, which was the point of contention. Um, that was the topic of a lot of discussion because these changes came about in the last few weeks of the legislative session, so it moved very quickly. Um, initially, the bill was just about open enrollment dates, and this provision about extending the requirement for coverage, did have a bit of dialogue, but ultimately reached a place that was pretty balanced in terms of uh, mitigating uh, like a fraud, waste and abuse, talking about that right with the CE for some of these clinics that had been popping up and charging for expensive equipment and there were some abuse that was really well documented, but then also balancing the needs of consumer protection and having things like no balance billing for something that they are not prepared um, to receive in its traditional modem.
1: Thank you for that clarification. Can you tell us what your priorities are for 2023? What will CHIP continue to work on this year? I know a lot, but (laughs) why don't you give us some specifics?
3: From my perspective, as we wait to see what legislation is introduced, we remain focused on staying involved in the many conversations related to healthcare reform in general. So as we continue to work with the Department of Insurance Cover California, our legislators and our regulators. um, We anticipate and have heard that the Nurses Association intends to bring forward another single-payer bill. We are closely watching the progress of the Office of Healthcare Affordability as a result of AB 1130 being passed through a budget, as well as keeping our eyes on the long-term care movements. California's had some interesting... um, proposals last year that created a task force, so we're keeping a close eye, eye on that. KHIP is also very focused on ensuring we are building relationships with our new legislators. This is a high, one of the highest priorities, I would say, this year, as well as maintaining existing ones. Um, thanks to face hard work in Sacramento, we're keeping education up, but we really, really hope to see a lot of agents show up in Sacramento May 8th through 10th for the Capitol Summit to help us. It show who an agent is and the relationships and how we serve those constituents. Yeah,
1: thank you for that. I want to ask a question. Uh, last year, you changed the name from Kahu to KHIP. Would you like to tell us a little bit about why that name change took place?
4: Yeah. Um, so when you would be at one of our events and ask for, you know, raising of the hands for anyone that identifies as an underwriter, virtually no hands went up. And then you ask, you know, how many of you identify as an agent or a broker? And the whole room lights up. So we needed a new just of who we are and the work that we're doing. And there are other wonderful associations that are agents and other lines of coverage, but this association is specific to healthcare. So. Um, We are who we are, California agents and health insurance professionals. So we're hoping that that clearly communicates to the quarter of new legislators that are brand new who we are without having to, you know, do a little disclaimer like, well, we don't underwrite anymore. And um, it just makes it a little more clear.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because even though it's kind of old news now. Um, some people that are listening to this podcast uh, may not realize uh, that, that KHIP went through a name change and so forth, or they may see on some of the materials KHIP and some maybe Kahoo still uh, things like that. So I just wanted to make sure it was clear that everybody understands that there was a reason for that and I know I remember years ago, Faith being at a meeting when you asked for this, uh, and i wasn 't on one of the boards at that time. I was taking a i don 't know five or ten year hiatus from the boards, and I was in the back of the room you didn 't even know me we 've talked about this before on an earlier podcasts. Uh, and you asked for it. and I remember standing up and saying she needs this name change. Give it to her <laughs> and, and that's when you and I started talking and actually starting to get to know each other at that point So I was happy that I got to know you before I came back to the association um, So thanks again for being here all three of you. I really do appreciate you
4: Thanks, Dorothy until next time. Thank you Thanks, Dorothy you're very
1: much welcome to all of you listening today thank you for continuing to follow the benefits executive roundtable and thanks to all of you our listening audience who's growing consistently each season so i just wanted to say thank you very much for all of you out there please stay safe stay healthy and please stay tuned for the next episode of the benefits executive roundtable thanks everyone
0: thanks for listening stay tuned for compliance tips cost containment ideas new trends and decision making tools This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3 call free at 866-658-3835 or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com